Thank you for downloading and listening to the Briam Bible Church Sunday Morning Podcast. Briam Bible Church is located in Shoreline, Washington, morning worship at 11, and many more events throughout the week. For more information, please visit our website at www.bereanshoreline.org. And as they are dismissed, I just want to say we had a wonderful uh, men's breakfast yesterday and every second Saturday of the month from 8 to 9 o'clock. We have men's breakfast, and uh, all the guys are welcome to join us. I also want to put in a little advertisement for uh, this Thursday. Our Women's Missionary Fellowship Luncheon is a monthly luncheon, the third Thursday of the month. Uh, Ladies come and have a workroom, a prayer time, activity. But also we have a luncheon that everybody's invited to, men and women. And this uh, month we have a guest speaker, Julie Christ. And I had a chance, uh, Dwayne Olberg invited me to lunch or uh, uh, coffee with Julie one day and to get uh, a little bit of an update on her ministry. Uh, Julie is a retired uh, real estate uh, salesperson here. Actually worked with Rick Landreth in his office. And she started a grassroots ministry in Uganda uh, with children, orphan children in a very poor area. And this ministry has grown over 600 students. And uh, it's a great ministry. And I think it would be great if you came and uh, just learned about this so you could pray for this and just be encouraged about ministries like this that God lays on people's hearts and it just flourishes with God's blessing. So we invite you Thursday uh, to come for lunch and uh, you can just call the church office if you want and say, I'm coming if you don't have a chance to sign up earlier in the morning. I know that a lot of you are thinking football this week, right? I understand that. But I know a few of you are uh, thinking baseball as well. Um, there's probably a few here that I could ask how many days to the pitchers report for duty. You know, Gary, is your brother here? He must know. He would know. And uh, uh, John Bates is in the prayer room. I'm sure he knows. And uh, anybody else know? 32. Thanks. 32. Oh, Dan Royal. Thanks, Dan. Okay, 32 days till baseball. Till the pitchers report for duty. Um, you know, if, if you've been to a Mariner game, you know that. Every, it seems like every stadium kind of has these little quirky things they do at uh, certain times, you know, the, you know, the cap thing that goes around, you try and follow the ball. Here it's the hydroplane race with those animated uh, high-tech hydroplane races. And I, um, I, I wanted to show you one from a, uh, Pastor Gary actually helped me. I had to say, I have no idea. He, so he knew what it was, Washington Nationals. And uh, the Washington Nationals uh, have a thing where uh, the president's, because it's Washington, D.C., run around the infield. President uh, Washington, President Lincoln, and Teddy Roosevelt. And evidently, Teddy Roosevelt always loses this race. And there's a reason that uh, Teddy Roosevelt loses this race. Uh, Somebody makes uh, life kind of difficult for him. But I guess this, Gary explained to me, this was the historic date that uh, uh, didn't quite um, happen to him. But you can see what happens as the presidents come running around the track, this is not quite as cool as hydroplane race, but here they come around. There's, oh, there's, a, <laughs> there's Teddy right there. There's uh, President Washington right there. He's running through the, it looks like Washington. Oh, man, he's out. <laughs> and Teddy Roosevelt wins the race. I guess it's the first time he won, right? Thanks. Thanks, Gary, for telling me that. So, all right. Now, what's that got to do with... <laughs> What's that got to do with our sermon this morning? Thanks, Cliff. Um, uh, Galatians chapter 5. Galatians chapter 5. And I thought this uh, little incident illustrated actually quite well in the original Greek what 
This verse says, but before we go there, let's have a word of prayer. Fathers, we open your word. We do pray that your word will be meaningful to us. We'll listen to it. We'll understand it. Most of all, it will draw us close to you. Uh, You are our focus of worship today, and we just pray now that your word will enable us to focus on you, and also that will enable us to live our lives in such a way that glorify you. In Christ's name, amen. Galatians 5, 7. The Apostle Paul says, You, Galatian Christians, you were running a good race. Who cut in on you and kept you from obeying the truth? And that picture of those little, whatever those things were that came out and grabbed and knocked and cut in on those presidents and uh, knocked them down, that really is what is interesting in, in the original language, sort of the implication of this verse here. Uh, Paul uses a lot of athletic metaphors. He uses a lot of athletic metaphors in his writings. Uh, Military, athletic, and farming are are the most common metaphors that he uses. And in this particular case, the idea is a race. um, You know, he he identifies the Christian life as a race, and that the Christian life is not a sprint. It's more of a marathon. It's not just a hundred-yard dash. It's a long-term commitment or a long-term experience, we should say. And he says, in this Christian race, um, as you were running this race, Paul says, you were running good. You were doing well. What happened? Who cut in on you? Who who got in the way and knocked you down? What what happened to you? And as we we study this together, um, we were studying Sunday school, and we began this last week, this last section of Galatians. Verse 8, that kind of persuasion that ran in and knocked you down, that cut into you, that kind of persuasion does not come from the one who calls you. A little yeast works through the whole batch of dough. I am confident in the Lord that you will take no other, wor- no other way, no other view of this. And what Paul is saying here is, listen, this, this is serious. This is serious. What is at stake here in your churches in Galatia? This is, area, this is a region of area, regional area of multiple churches. He's writing to all the households of faith in this area. And this is serious. Paul says, we had, you were on track. You were, you were learning about the grace of God. You were learning about who you are in Jesus Christ. You were learning that you do not need to, to do things to please God to, to earn salvation. You, you've learned that you are saved, that you received eternal life, and you received the hope of the resurrection, and you received the promise of the Holy Spirit through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, through God's grace. It's a gift. You cannot earn it. You cannot do something to get more of it. This is who you are. And they've been learning this, and they've begun living their life, and then some people came. In this particular case, they came from, from Jerusalem. And they infiltrated these churches that were a mix of Jewish and Gentile uh, people in this congregation. And uh, actually all races, all backgrounds. You know, as Paul says in the body of Christ, there's no Jew, there's no Gentile. There's no male, there's no female. There's no servant or slave and there's no free person. We are all one, equal in Jesus Christ when we become Christians and join the household of faith. But some had come and are beginning to upset. They have cut in, they've actually knocked down the runner and thrown things into confusion because they are coming and teaching that, yes, you are saved by God's grace through faith, but of course you know you must also keep the Mosaic law to be fully accepted to God. This is a legalism. Now, this isn't a legalism that you and I so much are 
tempted with. You're not so much tempted with the details of the Mosaic Law. Uh, kosher, you know, the circumcision, the things that are mentioned here in this passage especially. Uh, keeping purity laws. However, every generation of Christians has faced the same issue of legalism. Of those who would say you're saved by grace, yes, that's true, but you know you must also do this. You must also give this. You must also practice this the way I practice it. You must also think the way I think. And then you will be fully saved, as if there were two classes of Christians. This is upsetting to Paul. Paul writes to these churches and warns them that it's important that they know who they are, that they know what God has done for them, and that they know. And so last week we, we, uh, we, we began this with what we call the Magna Carta of Christian Freedom, Galatians chapter 5, 1. It is for freedom that Christ has set you free. Stand firm then, and do not let yourselves be burdened again by the yoke of slavery. And then we, we talked about, what, what are we free from? Paul, Paul says, you and I are free from the bondage, the slavery, the necessity of serving sin. Now, I know you don't always feel like that, because as we read in this passage, and we read in Romans, and we're going to see this as we continue through chapter 5, that Paul talks about the battle between the flesh and the spirit. I am still in the flesh. And the word that Paul uses in this passage, we'll see, sarks for flesh, is more than just body. There's another word for body in the original language, but it has the idea of the entirety of my human being, uh, not just my physical, what you see here, my extremities and so on, but the fact that, that, I, that sin dwells in me. And that until the resurrection, yes, I am still in this sinful body and I live in a sinful world, but I am free from the necessity, the bondage, the slavery to a sinful lifestyle. Secondly, we are free from the works of the law. We are free. We are free from having to keep the minute detail of any type of law or legalism. And then thirdly, with that, we are free from legalism. We are free. This is what we are free from. And then the question is, what are we free to? Freedom to what? That is what we want to talk about this morning as we consider this passage. Because you see, there is a danger that has also appeared in the early church. And throughout each generation of Christians, and today as well, it is always there. It is always a temptation. And that is the, the other problem. We, we are free from the law. It meant released. Does that mean that we are released or free from all moral restraints? Does it result in moral chaos? And of course, this is what's going on. There are those who are coming to, to Galatia and saying, listen, what Paul is teaching you is very dangerous. If you are free from the restraints, I mean, if you go home today and, and you drive home from, from church and you get on the highway or you get on, you know, and even though sometimes uh, you don't like, you know, obeying all the rules and maybe you get a ticket or an infraction for something, can you imagine if you had to drive home today, and there were no rules of our road, you could drive on whatever side you want, you could go through every intersection, you could drive as fast as you want, or as slow as you wanted, you could do anything you wanted on the way home. Can you, can you imagine the chaos? Would you even go out on the road if, that, if, if that's how you had to drive home? I know some of you would love that. You'd like to try it. I understand that. But um, I wouldn't. I'd probably stay here all day. It's chaos. 
And that's what, Paul, that's what they're accusing Paul of, of doing. They're saying, Paul, when you take away all the restraints of the Mosaic law, the commandments, are you even talking about the Ten Commandments? You say we're free in Christ? We are no longer bound to serve the law? Do you realize how dangerous this is? And there's this tension between this freedom in Christ and moral chaos. And in fact, we know from Paul's writings that he was facing this. I mentioned this last week in Romans chapter 6, where Paul says, should we sin that grace may abound? That, that we, that, you know, the more we sin, the more it shows God's grace. So let's sin and God can show his grace. And that's a good thing. Paul says, that's crazy. How could you even think that way? But this is the tension. And we want to try and resolve that tension in this, in this passage today. So let's, let's read. I want you to look especially at verse 13. We're going to cover verses 13 through 16 this morning. Paul says this. You, my brothers, were called to be free. Now listen. At, at our church, and you may be visiting today, and, and uh, welcome. God bless you. Thank you for coming today. And, and we hope you feel right at home here in our fellowship. And if we can ever do anything for you or your family, if you have any you know, spiritual needs, you have physical needs and so on that we can address and help you with. Um, as, as, as Kevin said, he's not the worship pastor. Gary's not the worship pastor. And neither am I the worship pastor. <laughs> but we are your pastors. We are your pastors. And, uh, and we have elders and leaders. We have uh, others who are, care about you. And if we can help you at all in any way, you be sure and, and let us know. Um, because we are here to minister and, and to serve and to serve you, and uh, we are here to, to to teach God's word. And we make a commitment in our church, in our, in our pulpit ministry, in our Sunday morning ministry, in our classes, on sun, in Sunday school, that it's based on God's word. And the reason we do that is that you need to know, you need to know what God says to you about who you are in Jesus Christ. You know, I, I, um, I have this history of liking to build models. When I was a kid, I used to like to build models. And um, I have to confess, I have about six uh, models in my basement right now that are in the process of being... I take my time. You know, I've got a 777, a Boeing 777 that has been down there for about 10 years. <laughs> And uh, so when they build a new one here, I'll have to get a new model. I'm, I'm glad they're going to build it here. And uh, I've got some cars. I've got some military planes and things. And uh, one thing I've noticed as years go by, the models are getting much more sophisticated. Much more expensive, too. But they're getting much more sophisticated. I have one now that's got hundreds of parts. And, you know, I look at the picture... And I look at the finish, and I, can, and I think about that, you know, finishing that and having it here, and I'll bring it and put it up on display in my office so Gary, Gary can enjoy my model. And, uh, but before I get there, I have to go through all the steps. This isn't one that I can just open it up and start putting things together, because it would come out horrible. I have to read the instructions. I have to put them together. You go to Lowe's and buy something that bring home and, and put in your house, and uh, you got to sometimes you got to put it together. You got to pay attention. You got you got to make sure you're following the instructions before you call up and say, "How come this doesn't work?" And the same with the Bible, friends. When we open God's Word and we teach God's Word, um, I know a lot of times we want to jump right to the practice and you know, how does this affect me? How do I live by this? But you got to know what it says. And what Paul says here is, you are free. 
You are free in Jesus Christ. And that's very important. Verse 13, you, my brothers, were called to be free. We already read, it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then. And this is part of the instructions you need to know. You know, part of it is enjoying the process. I enjoy putting those things together piece by piece and following instructions. You need to, to enjoy this process of knowing God's Word. You are free. You are free. But, but, do not use your freedom that we have been instructing you, that, that God has given you through Jesus Christ. You are free through Jesus Christ. You are a new creation. Behold, all things have become new. You know, you've heard you know, the phrase, God doesn't make junk. You know, I am a new creation. And I don't become an old creation and a new creation. An old creation and a new creation. I'm not half old man and half new man. The Bible says in Corinthians, if anyone is in Christ, they are a new creation. Old things have passed away. All things have become new. I, believe it or not, looking at me, I am a new creation in Jesus Christ. That's who I am. That's who God says I am. God says, I am free from the bondage of sin. I am free from the bondage of legalism. I am free from any of you telling me, I have to worship the way you worship, and you have to worship the way I worship, and I have to do everything and dress and act and know the way. No, we are free from this legalism. But, do not use this freedom to indulge the sinful nature. Rather, serve one another in love. And this is, the, this is the balance that we need to see in this passage, my friends. We are free. Freedom is a wonderful thing. I have grown up a free person in my country, in my culture. I am a free person. We are free. But there's this, there's this tremendous irony. I don't know other word to say it. This irony that I am free for what purpose? I am free to become a servant. Where else would you read that? Where else have you encountered that type of freedom? You are free. I am free. I am completely free in Jesus Christ. The Bible tells me that. I am under no one's bondage, under no one's obligation. I am free. But I am free to become a servant. Now, you know, in our culture today... This, 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 I want to say this, this word servant. Some of you recognize those servants, right? Yeah, I know, I know. Tonight, you'll be watching Downtown Abbey. No, Downtown Abbey. <laughs> or as trainer, or someone turned me on to a little thing at Downtown Arby's. That was a, some little spoof on it. Anyway, Downton Abbey. And you're familiar with this. This is kind of the rage. And, it, and it's a very, it's a British, for you don't know, it's a British broadcasting, put out by the British Broadcasting Corporation. And uh, it's been very popular. And it's all about, really, about these servants in this manner. And when you hear the word servant, this probably was what comes to your mind. When Paul says, we are free to be servants. Uh, these people are servants. They, they do what they're supposed to do. When the bell rings, they respond. When they are asked to do something, they do it. There's a protocol. There's an etiquette. Everything is exactly organized and there's, a definitely, there's definitely a two-class society in this household. However, if you've been watching this show, you also know they can be hired and fired. They can apply for jobs. These people have a certain amount of freedom. While they are servants, they do have a certain amount of freedom. 
And the word that's used here in, in, in this translation, in, in the New Testament, in the Greek, is, is, the word, is from the word doulos. The word diakonos, which we get our English word deacon from, is also a word for servant. There are multiple words for servants in the, in, in the Greek language. And, but this word, that's doulos, it comes from the word doulos, and it's, it's the application of this word, really probably better be translated as a slave. Now, I put up on this picture here, a, a, you know, sort of the extremes. These are galley slaves, like in Ben-Hur. If any of you remember that old movie, you know, rowing in, the, in there. These guys are galley slaves. These guys are the ultimate slaves. And I put that up there as sort of at least to give you the contrast. Most of the slaves in the Greek and Roman world were not this type of slaves. They were household slaves. But they were slaves, they did not apply for the job, and they had no choice of quitting and applying for another job somewhere else. They were owned, they were the possession of the master. They were slaves. And interestingly enough, this is Paul's choice of words here when he says, Do not use your freedom to indulge a sinful nature, rather be a slave. Not a diaconus, not a, not a, not a deacon but a slave to one another in love. This is the irony. This is the irony, friends. When you understand who you are in Jesus Christ, when you understand and fully come to terms with the fact you are fully forgiven of your sins. Amen? You are forgiven of your sins. You are not doing anything today and you will not do anything in your lifetime that is going to make God love you any more than He loves you right now. Just like my children and my grandchildren and those of you who are parents and grandparents can relate to this. You love them because they're your children. Sure, they can please you. Sure, they can disappoint you. But that doesn't change the fact of your love for them. And God loves you as much as He is ever going to love you. And when you come to understand that, it is when you fully grasp that and really begin to, to appreciate and understand that, is that is what frees you up then to become a slave to love others. If you try to skip that step, and jump right to, I'm going to be the kind of person, I'm going to love, I'm going to love, I'm going to treat everybody. And, and you skip the step of understanding God's Word, of looking into God's Word and understanding what God has done for you and fully coming to terms. You have been redeemed. The word redemption comes from the, from the idea of the, of the slave market or of a, of, a, of a sacrifice that is owned. You have been bought back. You have been redeemed. You have been forgiven. You have become a new creation. You have been given the Holy Spirit. This is who you are, whether you feel like it all the time or not. This is what the Bible says. This is not what I'm making up. This is what God's Word says. And it's when you come to understand that is what frees you up to become a slave, to truly love the way Christ has loved us with agape love. 
Don't use your freedom, which implies you could. You could choose to. You could choose to lose your, use your freedom to live any way you want. And from our perspective, yes, you are saved. If, you, if you've been, become a new creation, you are a new creation. But Paul says don't do that. Don't do that. You don't have to do that. And the more you understand who you are and what God has done for you, what God, what God, what God has done for you, the more you understand that, you are free to become a slave to one another in love. And then we have this next verse. And Paul says, listen, they're trying, they're trying to tell you to, to practice the legalism of the law to earn God's favor. Paul says, listen, I want to remind you what our Lord Jesus Christ said and in fact what the Old Testament says. The entire law is summed up in a single command. Love your neighbor as yourself. They knew that Jesus Christ had said that. When the man came to him and said, I, you know, I, I, what is the greatest commandment? And the Lord Jesus says, to love the Lord, the Shema, hear, O Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord is one. You love the Lord with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. No other commandment. That's still the cardinal commandment in Judaism today. It's called the Shema. It comes from the word hear, Shema. Hear, O Israel. Shema Yisrael. Hear, O Israel. The Lord your God, the Lord is one. And you are to love Him with your whole being. And the second commandment is this. Love your neighbor as yourself. Can you do that? Now I know that there was a time when the main teaching on that passage and that thought was, the emphasis was we had to learn to love ourselves and self-respect and self-esteem. And, and that's important. But I think almost all the biblical exegetes, the, the, those who study the language and so on, say that that's not really the, the point of this passage. The point is, we have a natural affinity toward ourselves to do what pleases us, to watch out for ourselves, to put ourselves first. That's my, that's, I, know, I, I know about you, but I know that's my natural affinity, is, is to do what is important for me. But Paul says, listen, my neighbor, my co-workers, my church family, my friends, my family, I am to love them to the point that what is important for them is more important than what's important for me. That's what Paul is saying. Because that's what our Lord Jesus Christ said. Love your neighbor as yourself. And if you remember that parable the, the, of the Good Samaritan, when the next question was, well, that's, that's good, Jesus, but by the way, who is my neighbor? You, you, you obviously mean people like me, right? And remember he told the story, the Good Samaritan? And of course the point was, at the end of the story, who was the neighbor? The least likely person. The person who you don't even think you should even talk to. The Samaritan. And we are reminded, we are reminded that we cannot, we are not called to define who our neighbor is. We are called to be a neighbor. We cannot define who our neighbor is. We are called to be a neighbor. And the interesting thing about this, we know the New Testament 
context so well. But if you just take a moment in your Bibles and go back to Leviticus chapter 19, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus. I want you to notice the context of this passage. This is within Judaism. This is within the Mosaic Law. And the context of this passage in Leviticus chapter 19, verse 18 is where this comes from. 19.18 Do not seek revenge or bear a grudge against one of your people, but love your neighbor as yourself. I am Yahweh. I am the Lord. Keep my decrees. And I want you to notice the context this comes from. It goes back to verse 9. When you reap the harvest of your land, do not reap to the very edges of your field or gather the gleanings of your harvest. Do not, do not go over your vineyard a second time or pick up the grapes of the fall. Leave them for the poor and the alien, the non-Jews, the non-people of God. I am the Lord your God. We are, we, you know, we participate with Shoreline Community Care. I was with Bill Bear for lunch today, and tomorrow, uh, Gary and I are going to meet with Rich, who's been working with um, Shoreline Community Care, uh, as to how can we get more involved. You know, we they need people to do interviews. It's it's a it's a ministry just in Shoreline that reaches out with people who have needs. So our church gives money toward it. Other people gives gifts to it. Bill Bear just dedicates his time to this ministry and. And, and, and they help people. They can help with utilities. They can help with food. They can help with needs. They keep track. They interview people. And if any of you would be interested in a ministry like this, please talk to me or Gary or Rich um, because it's, it's, it's a ministry that's important to our faith community here. And in and, 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 and Israel, they were told, you purposely leave the corners of your fields. You don't go over your field a second time and pick up every single grape to squeeze every last cent out of it. You leave it for the poor and the alien because that's their sustenance. You do not steal, verse 11. You do not lie. You do not deceive one another. Do not swear falsely. Verse 13, do not defraud your neighbor or rob them. Do not hold back the wages of a man you've hired. You pay him if you hired him. Do not curse the deaf. Do not put a stumbling block in front of the blind, but fear your God. I am the Lord. Do not pervert justice. Do not show partiality to the poor or favoritism to the great, but judge your neighbor fairly. The, the Bible is the earliest literature, if you want to say, in the world that addresses social concerns like this because of God's love for His people and the love they are show to everyone. This is not just Jew to Jew. This is for the aliens. This is for the strangers. This is for everybody. That we are to be, they are to be a compassionate people. And those that would normally be taken advantage of, the deaf and the blind and the lame and the poor and the others who are easily taken, God says, no, don't you dare do that. Why? Because I am the Lord. I am the Lord and you are my people. Do not pervert justice, verse 15. Do not show partiality to the poor or favoritism to the great, but judge your neighbor fairly. Do not go spreading slander among your people. Do not do anything that endangers your neighbor's life. I am the Lord. Do not hate your brother in your heart. If you must rebuke him, do so frankly, with, so you will not share in his guilt. Do not seek revenge or bear a grudge against one another of your people. 
Love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. Keep my decrees. That is the context, friends. When Paul says the whole law is summed up in this command, as our Lord Jesus said, love your neighbor as yourself, it comes from this context of a community that, that, that put first their compassion and their care for other people and their neighbors. And the law and the keeping of the law was an outflowing of their heart that was right with God. So later on in the Old Testament, when they try to come and bring their offerings and sacrifices, when they are taking advantage of people, when they are sell, selling the poor for a pair of shoes, when they are not paying people, when they are abusive, when violence is rampant in their land, and they are sacrificing to idols, and they bring sacrifice and offering, and try and pretend everything's okay, and God says, take that stuff away, it stinks. Bring your heart first. Then bring your sacrifice. This is the context. And we go back to Galatians. As we conclude in Galatians chapter 5, in this wonderful passage of what, what does it mean to be free in Jesus Christ? Listen, friends, when you understand and appreciate and accept and grow in this understanding of, and you don't have to be a Christian that's walked with the Lord for 20, 30, 40 years. You might be a new believer in Jesus Christ. You can understand this. You can grasp this now. Yes, you will grow in this. You will learn more. Do not use your freedom to indulge in a sinful nature, but rather serve one another in love. Verse 14, the entire law is summed up in a single command. Love your neighbor as yourself. And then look, this is what's at stake here. Why is this so important? Why is this so important? Look what he says here. Galatians, if you keep on biting and devouring each other, watch out. You will be destroyed by each other. If you choose to ignore who you are in Jesus Christ, and you choose to ignore and refuse what God has made you, what God has called you to be, you will, you will not be able to love as God loves. That will only come when you understand what God has done for you, that you are free to become a slave. If not, the result is Satan will have his way. Satan will have his inroad. And what he's saying is you'll just chew each other up and you know what? We've all seen that. We're all aware of that. We're all aware, aware of the sad testimony of households of faith and community of faith and, and even in our own context, whatever it is, that we can chew each other up and spit each other out because we do not understand what it means to be a slave now, to love one another, it does not mean moral chaos. As it says in the Old Testament, when you have to rebuke a brother, do it in the way that is right. And Paul will say this in Galatians. Yes, it does mean accountability. It does mean that, that, that we hold each other accountable, that we help each other, we encourage, we point out, we help, say, look, this is not right. But it's done in a way that we are servants of love that God has called us to be. This really 
is the greatest irony, I think, in the New Testament. I am free. I am free from any of you making me be like you. And because of that, I am free to be your slave. I'm free to be your slave. And I'm free to love you even more than I love myself, which does not come natural to me. But we'll close with this verse. Verse 16. So I say, live by the Spirit, that is the Holy Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the sinful nature. We have a wonderful God. We have a God who doesn't just tell us how we should be. He enables us to be what He calls us to be. God will never, God will never call you to do something that He will not enable you to do. That's true. That's true. I want to just close the service with this quote from Martin Luther. I think he really catches this irony. A Christian is free and independent in every respect, a bondservant to none. A Christian is a dutiful servant in every respect, owing a duty to everyone. How can that be? How can that be? It is the best way to be. It is because the Holy Spirit will enable you to do that. And I want to make a suggestion as you go home today. I'd love to do this for the world. You know, I'd love to love the world. You can even write a song about that, you know. Love to love the entire world. But, if I'm not willing to put this into practice with the people closest to me, forget about the world. If you're not willing to allow the Holy Spirit to take your freedom in Christ and allow you to become a slave to your spouse, your family, your neighbor, person sitting next to you, uh, don't try and do it for the world. And I see this all the time in God's family. People quietly, humbly. I see this with, with spouses and children caring for others who, are, who have become completely in need of everything. And, and in compassion and love, they are serving and they are doing it. Why? Because they love. And I challenge you today, friend, because I would not do it if I would not challenge myself first. Am I willing to be a servant, a slave to those closest to me, because I am free in Jesus Christ to love as God has loved me? Let's close our service. I'm going to sing a great song, one that's been part of the church family for a long time. Gary, come on up. Blessed be the tie that binds. I know most of you know this song.
But this is a great song. And let's sing it to the Lord as we leave this place of worship today. Now, I'm your pastor, and you expect me to say, I, I love being here with you today. And I'm glad that you're here today. Um, your presence here is a ministry to other people and encouragement to them. And thank you for coming today. You could be anywhere today, and I appreciate that. I don't know enough about the Washington Nationals, but I, I'm assuming what happens, Gary. I mean, Keith would know. I don't know. I'm assuming what happens is every game, President Teddy Roosevelt gets knocked out. He gets bopped by that, whatever that red thing is. Lobster. Oh, it's a lobster. Of course, it's a lobster. How could I miss that? And every game he gets knocked out. But on that day, the lobster didn't knock him out. And uh, you know the Bible tells us? Our adversary, the devil, is like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. But God will help you. And God will help us as a family of God, and as your family, and as your local context, God will help you by knowing his word, by understanding your freedom in Christ, and your willingness to become a servant slave in love to one another. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you. First of all, we just thank you for your remarkable love for us. How would we ever, ever, ever grasp the depths of your love for us that Jesus Christ would become a slave. He would give up his throne in heaven, his place next to you, the glory and the love and the bond that Father, Son, and Spirit have shared for all eternity, all eternity. And on that cross at Calvary, have to cry out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Because he loved us and you loved us so much. And I pray, Lord, that nobody would leave this place today rejecting Jesus Christ, who died on the cross and paid for their sins. For God so loved the world. May they come to you today and receive forgiveness for sins and receive Christ and say yes to you. And because of that love, God, may we be known as a family of God that does not bite and devour one another, but loves one another. Loves one another because we are free people. In Christ's precious, precious name, we ask these things. Amen.